Welcome to the Automotive Leaders Podcast, where we help you prepare for the future by sharing stories, insights, and skills from leading voices in the automotive world with a mission to transform this industry together. I'm your host, Jan Griffiths, that passionate, rebellious farmer's daughter from Wales with over 35 years of experience in our beloved auto industry and a commitment to empowering fellow leaders to be their best authentic selves. Stay true to yourself. Be you and lead with gravitas, the hallmark of authentic leadership. Let's dive in. Have you ever thought about what you could learn from a Formula One team and how those skills would apply to creating an innovation culture? Well, today you're going to find out. We're going to meet the woman who sits firmly at the intersection of technology, talent, and transformation. She is leading the charge on culture transformation in the automotive industry at one of the largest tier one companies. Get ready to meet Kristen Trecker. She is the Chief HR Officer for Visteon. In this conversation, we're going to dive deep into this subject of developing a talent supply chain. Yes, that's right. Not a product supply chain, a talent supply chain. We'll cover the age-old topic of performance reviews, and then we'll talk about creating an innovative culture And yes, there'll be a few personal stories thrown in along the way, so make sure you stay till the very end. Let's dive in. Kristen Trecker, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Jan. Kristen, five years ago, you and I met. We were both sitting on a panel at the MGM in Detroit, and I was awfully excited to meet you because you have not worked a day in the automotive industry in your entire life. And here you are coming in, taking the lead HR position in such an esteemed company, Visteon. Remember that? I do remember that. It was a long time ago. It feels like uh, 35 in dog years. (laughs) And I'm always curious because I'm sure you figured this out by now, but in automotive, see, we think we're special. Every industry thinks that. It's like, yeah, yeah, but you you don't understand. You don't get it. We're automotive. If you haven't worked in automotive, you couldn't possibly be successful. You couldn't get it. You obviously figured that out because here we are, five years on, you're incredibly successful and you're still going. I know. It's really amazing. And honestly, I think the... Um we are special thing is a blessing and a curse. Right now, it's a a blessing in a sense that automotive is really special. There's so much happening. There's so many inflection points that yes, automotive is special. However, if we let the old special, we're automotive, get in the way of the new special, we're mobility, that's where the problems start. Yeah, that's so true, right? Now, Let's get into your background. So your background is primarily software and medical, is that correct? Right. I spent 16 years at a software company, but I'm not a traditional HR person. I was actually in sales. 
And um, I would call on my book of business to tell them about how do you improve the health of your employees? It saves your bottom line. More importantly, it helps your employees. And at that point, and, and by the way, I've come full circle. I'm like, those damn HR people, all they want to do is throw baby showers. They don't understand how they can impact their business. So I put my money where my mouth was and I moved into HR and I've never looked back. Wow, that's quite a story. So I have to ask you, so let's go back to the beginning of your time at Vistion and coming into the automotive industry. As I'm sure you've, you know, we're known for our command and control, right? We love command and control. When you look up a command and control in the dictionaries, automotive right there. What did that look like and feel like to you coming in? You know, I have to say my deepest respect goes to our CEO, Sachin Lawande, who has been here since 2015. And one of the things that he did quite a bit before I arrived in 2018 was to start to change that culture. Since I arrived, we've flattened the organization. We've talked about what we need leaders to do differently. We've inst instituted the concept of talent supply chain. I know your deep background in the supply chain. We're doing the same thing at Vistion, except from the talent perspective, and really started to drive some of those changes. So we're much more tech company-like in that regard than probably traditional automotive. It means a lot because we need to really empower our employees and we need to also hold them and ourselves accountable. And so it's a holistic culture change that we're in the midst of right now. Tell us more about the talent supply chain, because I think that's a term that people are going to, they're going to hear that and they're going to go, yeah, okay, I get that, but not really. <laughs> so can you, can you explain that so people understand what that means and how you do it right. at, at Vistion? Jan, you know, I think about your deep background and where you came from was supply chain and you need to an automotive, which is honestly a very deep talent that we need to leverage in mobility, know how things flow from where you start with the suppliers to the quality. You have rigor around metrics. You're always measuring things, looking for improvements, trying to figure out how do I develop new suppliers and then managing that all the way through the factory and where it goes out the door. We have to do the very same thing from a talent perspective. When we bring people into our organization, we have to understand what are we bringing them in? Have we defined the role well? What are the metrics that we're going to look at to check their flow through our system? How do we make sure we're developing them? Who's got potential? Where are we struggling with performance? Do we need to define a role or a structure better until, you know, ultimately they leave our, our organization? I'm very grateful at Vistion. We have many employees with 25 and 30 years of experience, which is great. And I call them kind of the key contributors to us. And we have their history plus the future of where mobility is going. So to be able to manage some of those things with that same supply chain mindset and rigor, um, knowing that really our differentiator right now is our talent is really critical to us. Have you been able to see the impact on engagement metrics and attraction and retention metrics? 
We have. Um, at Visteon, we're global. We've been global for many, many years. And so we need to look across the organization. So we'll look at things like how easily can we attract people into our jobs? What are our retention rates? What are our internal promotion rates? How many people do we have referring people into our organization. Those are the types of things that help us understand where we're doing well and sometimes where we're not doing well to see how we're doing with our talent supply chain. Wow, I love that. And of course, that forces you to really embrace and put your arms around Gen Z. Because if you're looking, truly looking at at a talent supply chain, you've got to go all the way through the entire process So when you start to look at Gen Z and bringing Gen Z into the organization, what are some of the things that you have to do differently, right? Because we all know Gen Z thinks a lot differently. I love to tell people that when I started my career, I couldn't care less about a company's vision and mission statement. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what it was, and I didn't care. I just wanted a job. I wanted money, and I wanted to get up that that career ladder as quickly as possible. And now that is absolutely not the case. Now Gen Z wants to be understand what is that mission and how how am I going to fit you? Is this a good culture fit for me? Am I going to be able to contribute? Will they give me a career, or is this just a job? How do you get your mind around that? Well. I think no matter where I am in the world and no matter what generation, there's kind of three things that are really important, which is I've got to take care of my family. That's why I work, because I take care of my family. The second thing is, what can I learn? And the third is, and you mentioned this, how can I contribute? And this may look different for different generations. So in terms of Gen Z, one of the things that we've been doing for years and years is really contributing to How do we improve the efficiency and effectiveness of how we run our plants? Where can we make social contributions? Where are the areas that we want to donate our money and time, no matter where we are in the world, to help um, improve the places that we live and work? And so what we've done is actually take a lot of the work that was already in place, and we've started to talk about it and promote about it. And as you know, in the U.S., you know, we're required to do certain types of disclosures. Well, we were doing some of this anyway. It was just coordinating that and helping people imagine themselves within Visteon because ultimately you're coming in for a job and you want to grow. But if you think about what's happening in our mobility industry, we're actually changing the way people drive, how technology comes into a car. And it's not just for my generation or their generation. It's going to impact their kids and their kids' kids. I guess that would be grandkids. So I think it's not just the job that I do gets something done. I'm happy that, you know, I'm working with premier OEMs. I've got a great global group of people, but I'm making a difference, not just for my generation, but the next. Mm. I love looking at the generational differences. And one of the things that we've seen coming out, and I guess maybe it's not across generations, but this idea of quiet quitting, that's getting a lot of press lately. What what are your thoughts around that? Because that's all about employee engagement, which brings it right back to leadership and culture. I think um, culture is all about a lot of little things that you do within your company. It's decisions that you make. It's uh, how you interact with people. It's where you focus, and that creates culture. 
I think in some cases, and, and I think across the globe, we saw that there were many people that were either quiet or loudly quitting their jobs. Yeah. Um, and, and fortunately for us, it's gone down. And I think in part, although it's gone down globally, you know, what we've really been trying to focus on is redefining in the context of mobility with all of these inflection points. Let's redefine what does good look like? And if I can get connected from my job to, you know, the impact that I see my company can make, or um, I was recently in India and I was talking through the company strategy at many different sites. And I asked about a certain uh, program that just was about to go live, which is a very visible global program. And almost everybody raised their hand to say that they were working on it. They felt connected to that customer, whether they were working on it directly or just indirectly or supporting their colleagues, they felt like they were part of it. And if you can feel like you are making an impact on the customer, on your peers, you can really make a difference. Kristen, with your background in technology and software, as how have you been able to utilize some of those skills and that experience and bring that into automotive, into Visteon? So I think in a couple of different ways. One, if you think about software or technology, it's usually a flat organization. You can make decisions pretty quickly because hopefully you don't have a lot of bureaucracy. There's aligned goals. And, and I think a lot of companies have aligned goals. But for us, what I think is the difference is to be able to spot trends and to be able to make changes on almost on the fly in some cases where we see something coming, we can shift. We have, you know, 10,000 employees in about, you know, 18 different countries. So there are quite a few uh, people, but because we have a leadership team that works really effectively together because our CEO is actually our CTO, understands technology, we can go down that path. If I then flip that to how do I think about that from an HR perspective, you know, this is one of the things that um, I've tried to create within my own organization. How do we really empower the organization, my leaders that we have? And then how do we think about impact? In my mind, all good organizations, but I especially saw this in tech, you knew how you impacted the organization and you were part of the organization. I've always hated the word business partner. I'm an HR business partner. It's kind of the standard lingo, but it implies to me that you're standing off. I'm the partner. I will tell you what to do. You actually need to be a really, really good business person first and then you have to bring your HR expertise. I was out talking about our company strategy. I did not say one thing about HR when I was you know, meeting with all of these employees in India. You have to understand the products. You have to understand technology. You have to understand how all of this works. If you think about then how do you bring that in, that's actually the, probably the last thing that I've gotten to in terms of how do I actually bring technology, look at our technology stack within HR. How do we do things differently? We've we've certainly run some pilot programs and how do we use, you know, chatbots and some of those types of things. That's actually my focus for this next year, where I feel like we've been so focused on the rest of the organization. Now it's going to be time for us to actually taste our own cooking and 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 be a tech company internally as well as what we tell everybody else to do. Kristen, when I look back on my corporate career, one of the things that would drive me insane is the ritual of the annual performance review. And, you know, some companies do it better than others. 
But it was always this arduous task. Nobody likes to admit that, right? Because everybody says, oh, no, I'm all about my people. I love doing performance reviews, but nobody actually does. I enjoyed the conversation with my direct reports, no question about that. But I hated the structure behind it and having to follow some rigid format and ask some questions that you could interpret 15 million different ways just so that I could somehow fit these people into this rating system. And I and I, I didn't like it. And the and director reports, they didn't like it either. I mean, they same thing. They enjoyed the conversation, but they didn't like being forced into this awful structure that in some cases was an Excel spreadsheet. In some cases, then of course you're into revision level problems and then you're trying to send Excel spreadsheets to the organization and that's a whole nightmare. Some had a, a little bit more progressive of a, a software that were, was perhaps designed for that. But it just, it seems to me that that thing is so outdated and leaders should be in touch with their people constantly. So where are you at on performance reviews? Well, I'm not a big fan of the performance appraisal, and I give Vistian credit in the sense that even before I got here in 2018, they had said, enough is enough. This is too bureaucratic. It adds no value. Let's stop doing it. But you have to replace. Yes. Yep. I give, again, I give the team a lot of credit. But with that said, there is something that needs to be in place in order for us to develop people. So in fact, it was something we were talking about today with my team. We need to put in a more agile performance management process. And my my thinking, because we were just doing some brainstorming, one is let's go to our employees. Let's crowdsource ideas from them. So that's probably something most people don't do, but I think that's something as a, a tech company we should do so that we're making it relevant from our employees and managers. Secondly, then, how do we make this agile if it's going to be the equivalent of a one-pager in a system, because it needs to be in a system in my mind, what are the two or three things that are going to be most important? Third, we can't set annual performance targets. It just simply doesn't work. Everything is way too dynamic in our industry. And so, you know, whether we do it quarterly or semi-annually, it's got to be something that's relevant to people so that they can have the benefit of a good conversation. Because frankly, that's the most important piece. It's the conversation, as you said, and not that it falls into some sort of special process. But with that said, employees, especially this generation, want to have that feedback. They're coming into the workforce. They want to learn and grow. They want to know a little bit more about how can they develop. So it's really a critical thing to have. So there's some place for that kind of process. It needs to focus less on the process and more on the conversation. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I hear that some companies are moving to a process where, well, I guess this wouldn't be a formal performance review, but in terms of recognition, where there are like texts or like instant messaging going out where people are, are recognizing each other on the team. Is that, uh, that's more into recognition than it is the overall uh, review process. But is there anything like that going on at Visteon for rec instant recognition? Yeah, we've done that for some time. We're, we're looking actually at a new vendor right now and and running a pilot, that's something that we absolutely encourage. And if you think about the value that that brings, you know, whether it's in the context of reinforcing your values that you have as a company or 
your leadership principles or above and beyond. Those types of things, especially now with in the context of the generation, social media, the just-in-time feedback are really important. Yeah. And that, and that feedback has got to be immediate. And that's either way. If you see a behavior or something that's happening that's in line with the company values and you want to amplify that, you should recognize that immediately, like even in the meeting or right after the meeting. But the same is true for the other side. And this is where I think leaders struggle sometimes is if they see a behavior in in a meeting, one of their, their direct reports, that's not in line with the values that they have as a leader and they they have as part of the values of the, the company culture, that needs to be addressed like, boom, right, right there and then. And I think many leaders struggle with that because they don't have the tools, it's uncomfortable, and then they think, oh, well, I'll just deal with that in the performance review six months from now. Yeah, that's not the best idea, is it? No, I agree. And, you know, it have to, has to start with the top, Right. So how do the, what's the tone the CEO sets at the top about those types of things? We have a very apolitical organization. I've never actually seen anything like that across the executive committee. We make decisions based on, you know, data and facts and, you know, we think about it and then we all walk out aligned and that's then what we need to, you know, hopefully then bring down into our organization it develops trust. And then when you have to have some of those tough conversations with different people, as long as you have a trusting relationship, people understand that um, you're giving it to them because you want them to get better. That helps. Conversely, I also ask my team, give me feedback. Did I do something wrong or or should I have done something different? Or did I forget to consider something? Because no leader is perfect. And if you can develop that two-way conversation, that mutual trust, you can just go so much more quickly. Yeah. You know, you remind me of a conversation I had with uh, Warren Harris. He's the CEO of Tata Technologies, and he is all about vulnerability-based trust. And he talks a lot about with his team, he really encourages the open dialogue. And yes, there will be conflict. But when you leave that room, you either agree or you disagree, and that's okay, and commit. And this is a model of behavior that we've seen for decades in the automotive industry. None of this, all all agreeing in the room and then walking out of the room and backstabbing people and all these snipey little conversations, creating a toxic work culture. That has happened many, many times. I've been right in the middle of that more times than I care to imagine. Those kinds of games in that toxic culture cannot be tolerated anymore. To go back to your point about we live in this agile world, the world of mobility, there's no time for that. Correct. I agree. I don't even actually think there's anything more to say. But if I think about the shift in our industry and going back to what you first talked about, this command and control, I think sometimes engenders probably the information flow, the accuracy of data. And that's something, in in my opinion, companies just have to put a stake in the ground and say, how are we going to stop this? And then how do we role model this behavior? Otherwise, the top doesn't ever find out what's really happening. Yeah, and you, you, that's right. How do you role model that behavior? And it does start with the top and it does start with the executive team. And if the executive team, if you got one or two, just all it needs is one or two 
And that can destroy the entire company culture because then you've got a whole slew of people that emulate that leadership behavior. And they say, oh, well, if that this is how I need to behave to be successful. And off they go. And then you've got an army of people driving that toxic culture. But the other side, again, is true. When you start to get some people who really believe in a more authentic leadership model and they start practicing it, then that starts to have a ripple effect out in the organization. Have you seen that? I have. And I try to do that with myself because I was new to auto. I made, you know, a lot of mistakes in terms of just assumptions and things like that. So when I would do that, I would, you know, put my hand up. I'm sorry. I thought it was this. I I, I don't have an understanding. Or if I was sitting in a business review, I can't believe how many three-letter acronyms are there. And I'd raise my hand. I don't understand what you're talking about. You just said one whole sentence, but I think it was in like six three-letter acronyms. So help me understand some of that stuff. And I think that's where, you know, asking the questions, you know, admitting when you don't always do everything right, and certainly none of us do everything right, asking for help when you need help, I think that's probably something that will speed up how your company operates when you can develop that sort of culture. And and frankly, there's probably microcultures within, you know, some of the companies that are still command and control where that's done. There's really good leaders out there. So it's not like it doesn't exist, but I think it needs to be something that we all strive to do better. Yeah. I often get people that tell me, they say, hey, you know, we love what you're talking about. We love this idea of authentic leadership versus command and control, but I'm in a command and control environment. And I tell them, look, you do you. The only thing you can control truly in this world is yourself. You cannot control what others think of you and you cannot control their behavior, but you can control you and you can influence your team. And I found myself in that situation many times where the culture I was in was not exactly 100% aligned with my values, but I know that I could control my team, my leadership, and you just focus on that. And, you know, all of a sudden what I found was that, I mean, and let's face it, nobody wants to work for purchasing or supply chain (laughs) in automotive. Very few people want to come over to that side of the fence. And after a while, you'd have people coming over going, do you have any openings on your team? Because the culture was starting to shift in the function. And I find that fascinating. I will tell you, I think supply chain and purchasing are probably the coolest areas right now, besides software engineering, maybe. Because think about how the ecosystem has changed. That those people need to understand what's happening with the releases from the different silicon vendors, so there's a whole new skill set. You can't pound the table and demand cost. You also have to look at quality and reliability because it's so much more integrated. I think it's a really interesting time to be in that function right now. Um, I think we learned a lot from the the chip crisis about how small we were in the scheme of things and, and we weren't always prioritized uh, as an industry. And so Um, I think it's actually a really cool time. I'd rather be in the talent supply chain, but I still think it's a good time to be a procurement. Well, here's a question for you, right? Since we're going, since we're going down the supply chain route, you get large OEMs. Uh, I'll pick on Ford, just, just to pick on Ford for one. 
separating their business into the legacy business and then the new mobility or EV space, right? So it's all, you know, ice to bev. So there's the ice business, legacy business, new business. And the supply chain and purchasing department runs across both because in many cases, the suppliers are the same. Now, in some cases, of course, they're not because it's different products, but there are some core suppliers that are indeed the same. And I've been talking a lot lately about culture within supply chain. And you can separate the two business units. That's great. But if the culture running through the supply chain organization and the processes, and essentially a lot of the people are still the same, what's changed? You have to change the culture along with the product. And one of my favorite quotes from Stephen Covey is, you cannot win in the marketplace without also winning in the workplace. So when you change that whole product and the speed of transformation that's required from that product, you have to change the, the not so much the people, but the culture and the processes and the thinking to go along with that, right? You, you can't hold on to legacy leadership cultures and practices, I think is the the awakening, if you will, right? You, you, you cannot, you can't split the company and then, but then say, but not really, but we're not really, we're not really going to take it all the way down to the nitty gritty purchasing level. We're just going to do it sort of at this level. If I think about what any company, whether they're splitting their company or not, needs to do to compete these days, they really do need to rethink what are the roles of leaders? What do we want from leaders? How do we want them to lead? For us, because we're we're focused in this area, the last couple of years, we've been really focusing on having our leaders think about how do they build strong teams? How do they inspire change? How do they lead from the front? And then how do they know what's happening in, in the rest of the market? And I think right now, if I look at traditional automotive, there's this sort of insular culture where sort of everybody just stayed in, in automotive for a very, very long time. And again, lots of, lots of great history, but to have history with the future, you also need leaders to think differently, maybe in some cases look differently than what you've done before. I think that you're right, Jan, is a big shift that that needs to happen. And if not, you'll get automotive leadership trying to operate in the mobility space. And I think they're um, rapidly diverging. I would agree. I interviewed uh, Dr. Andy Palmer. He's the former CEO of Aston Martin. Uh, he's the godfather of the EV. He introduced the Nissan Leaf when he was COO at Nissan. And we had this discussion about culture. And we talked about the, if you will, the startup tech culture of California versus traditional automotive. And I love the discussion with him because he said, you know, there's no right or wrong. You as a company get to determine what your culture is and should be. And there are aspects of legacy auto culture that are good and right and true and correct. And there are aspects of more of the California EV startup culture that you also need to have. But finding that balance and getting it right is up to you as a leader and a leadership team. You get to define your culture. Would you agree with that? I do. And let me tell you a story five years ago when you and I met. I wanted to understand the history of 
Detroit. And so I, I read some books, but I ended up going to the Paquette Avenue plant. It's now a museum. It was where Henry Ford had a secret room and he created um, the Model T. And I just stood in there and I listened to the docent and I heard that from this plant and from Henry Ford, he spun off so many patents that have you know created thousands of companies over the years. To just immerse myself in the history, because you're absolutely right. Automotive has a deep history. It's been critical not to just the U.S. where we are today, but across the whole world. It's driven innovation in so many different ways. How do we take those things and keep them, but then shift to where we need to be to be relevant going forward? You're right. It's our choices as companies as leaders. We have to do it, but we can't forget from where we've come. And that was like a moment where I felt so connected to the history. And I've always stuck that in the back of my head to try to ground me as we go forward and drive some of the changes that we've been driving. That's a beautiful story. And it's it makes the point exactly. And you mentioned innovation, Kristen. And of course, innovation is a uh, top of mind for many companies these days. And in a, yes, we are an industry that's known for innovation, but innovation in the tech space is different. There's a lot of try and fail, trial and fail, try it and fail until we get it right. And we're not so good at understanding and accepting failure in automotive as a whole. So getting our arms around this need need for speed and to innovate very quickly and iterate and iterate and move on, eh, we're not so good at that. How are you creating more of an innovation culture at Vistion? Well, let me tell you first, because you brought up Aston Martin, innovation, the need for speed. I am a big Formula One fan, and I've been a Formula One fan for many years. McLaren's my team, but they're always in a rebuilding. Um, so I'm Team Max and Red Bull right now. But with that, what they're always doing, if you ever watch one of those races and some of the prep, they're always tinkering with things. It's maybe the wheels, that the, the, the tires that they use, you know, kind of the wings, what angles, some of those things, how much fuel they send out. And so I think that's something that we do as well. We're tinkering with things. We're trying to, at Visteon, think about what works. And very quickly, if we find something that doesn't, then stepping back and we're trying to institute much more effectively this, this culture of like learning from our mistakes. We're in the midst of implementing um, agile software methodology. And if you know anything about agile, it's you do two week sprints. At the end, you do a retrospective. You'd say, what did I learn from this? What, what worked? What didn't? And you kind of take that and move on. And that's how you develop, you know, what you do. We've done the same thing in HR. We've tried, you know, certain things. I think that's probably more what drives innovation, but it's not necessarily these big ta-da moments necessarily, but it's small incremental sometimes things that make the biggest changes. McLaren came in second and fourth and should have been second and third safety car issue um, over this last weekend. And why? They've been running in the middle of the pack barely. They made enough incremental changes, put on a new package that have actually gotten them so that they were so close to winning the race and were on a podium. 
That's the same thing we've got to do. And whether it's in finance or supply chain or in your India operation, you know, or, or how we do X, Y, Z in, in London, whatever, those types of things and having that culture where it's okay to fail, as long as you learn your lesson, please don't do that two times in a row. That again, and I give our credit to our CEO for that and actually exhibiting that behavior as well. Here's what I learned. You know, we didn't do this right, or this is what I wish I would have done differently. By using that language, by trying to do things on a more incremental basis, you're ultimately going to get to big changes that drive where you're going. Yeah, and that's a that's a great example. Your F1 example is a great example to uh, to illustrate that point. Let's come back out at a macro level and talk about authentic leadership. You've had the opportunity to take a look at my 21 traits of authentic leadership. There's a lot in there. I know it's 21 <laughs> traits. But if you had to highlight two, Kristen, that resonate with you the most and why, what would they be? I had picked one and I picked the um, growth mindset because we actually talk about it here. But let me tell you why this is important to me. At Vistian, we talk about a growth mindset and and what it can help you do. And so, um, you know, we've had growth mindset days, so it's it's been a lot. And I always, someone way smarter than me said, it's better to be a learn-it-all instead of a know-it-all. And that's just, yeah. I totally love that one. And um, as I think about that also with me, one of the things I just thoroughly enjoy about Vistian and my role is I feel like half the time I'm really contributing to where we're going, to the industry with my software background, with just understanding auto. But the other half the time, I'm learning so much. Um, Sachin challenges us to make sure that we understand how zonal architecture going to change our industry. What's the software-defined vehicle? And a lot of other things. And so because I feel like I'm learning and growing and being challenged, that whole growth mindset to me was something that just resonated probably more so than anything else. And I think that growth mindset, sometimes you'll see it, you know, some people will have read the Carol Thwick book and, you know, they'll they'll throw it up there in a presentation. But the more I understand it, the more I think about it, growth mindset brings you back to being 100% your authentic self and believing in yourself. When you believe in yourself and you know that you don't have all the answers, but you will learn the answers, you'll get the knowledge, then, then we can all grow and move forward. And I'm really talking to myself here because as, as you know, when I started my business, when I met you, I didn't have a clue. I had a clue what I was doing. And I started a podcast. I didn't even know what a podcast was. But I have this belief in myself that I will figure it out. I will get the knowledge. And will I make mistakes and take missteps along the way? Oh, of course, you better believe I did. But deep down in the core of my being, I know that I believe in myself and I will figure it out. And I think growth mindset has as much to do with that as it does being open to the growth and gaining the knowledge. You think? I think so. I'll give you a similar example that I had when I first got to this industry. Um, I had a great set of peers and have a great set of peers that were incredibly supportive, invited me to all the business reviews, helped me understand the gate process, really helped me learn about the industry, which was fantastic. As I was interviewing to bring in 
people, um, HR people from the outside, I happened to bring in someone who came from a large OEM and I didn't end up choosing him to be a business partner. And he wrote me a note afterwards and he said, take this in the spirit that's intended, but you're going to fail. You're just too nice. And I I was like, ooh, my, um, which I thought was really interesting. And it made me pause to say, you know, what do I not understand about this industry? I'm not going to fail. In fact, I'm going to really help them be even better. And as I reflected on that, again, going back to growth mindset, I may not know the answers. I may not know the industry, but I'm smart. I am um, can network with people. I am going to build a strong team and I'm going to go. One thing I need to do is give a really big shout out to the HR community here in Detroit specifically. There are always willing people who will help share their knowledge, who will share best practices in terms of how they think about it, will maybe share, here's some good resources. And I find that this community in particular is particularly generous with their time. And I'm just very, very grateful because I learned a lot from those people to help accelerate me coming up to speed in our industry. See, we can be nice when we want to be, right? (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Now, Now for the fun stuff. You ready? Let's take a turn. How about tell us something that people don't know about you that they might be surprised that a chief HR officer for a major global tier one is into? Well, probably Formula One, which I've already given you that surprise, but um, that's probably the one that's, that's I think, most surprising to people. When I was in college, I wrote an, an article or, or a paper on women as market targets in the auto industry. And um, at that time, back a ways, I remember sending off to Ford and GM and, and probably Chrysler at the time saying, what are you doing to try to, you know, connect with women? And, and so I got a bunch of, of, of information back, which was great. But that always sort of piqued my curiosity. And at one of my, my CHRO jobs, we worked with Ferrari. That was a customer. We worked with McLaren, how I actually kind of got into following Formula One. And I love this intersection of technology and talent and transformation. I'm not a deep HR person, but I am really curious and I'm passionate about technology um, and I'm passionate about learning. And so I think that maybe makes me a bit unique. I love that technology, talent and transformation. Last life performance that you saw. Well, I was in Birmingham a couple weeks ago, and there's a Detroit Candlelight series, and I saw the San Antonio Quartet play Queen music, music from Queen, and then they interspersed some classical stuff in there, which was really pretty cool. And then probably before that, um, I was in uh, Amsterdam last year for the F1 race that was there. My husband and I try to go to those occasionally. So uh, two very different but interesting live performances. Love that. Okay, what do you like to binge watch? If you've got one of those days where you can just curl up on the couch and binge watch something, and lots of people don't like to admit this, but I will admit it, I have I have days where I binge watch Netflix series. What's your favorite thing to binge watch? My total favorite is Ted Lasso, and I know your other guests have said that, but I am a really optimistic, the glass is always half full kind of person, 
And I actually really love that. Or The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I think those are really uplifting, interesting. Um, I've enjoyed those. Yeah, I'm kind of late to the party on the Ted Lasso thing. I just finished it not too long ago. I mean, I love the the British-American thing, right? Because I, I mean, I just, I, I can relate to both sides of it. And it's funny because I'm always, I'm always complaining about tea. I can never get tea in this country, right? Nobody can make a good cup of tea in this country. And I was listening to Caddy Kay on Morning Joe. She's the BBC correspondent and she guest hosts um, Morning Joe from time to time. And she was talking uh, about, I think it was maybe Biden visiting King Charles or something. And she was talking about, no, I know what it was. She was talking about July 4th. And she says, yeah, you know, I love being in this country. I love being in America, da, da, da. She goes, the one thing is you can't get a good cup of tea. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> my sister, I am with you. I am with you. I've been on a mission to teach this com- this country how to drink tea for the last 36 years. <laughs> good and luck. I've failed. But I'm key- I'm, I have belief in myself, Kristen. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Good growth mindset around tea. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, so to wrap this up today, how about one thing, one piece of advice that you would like to give out there to our listeners, our listener base being leaders of different functions in the automotive industry, uh, mostly tier one, but some OEMs uh, in our listening base out there. One piece of advice to them. And I love the fact that we're sitting here today five years after you started in the auto industry and you're still here. So you're loving it. You're having an impact. So I think what you have to say is extremely powerful. What's the one thing? Find a way to make an impact in your business. And I think that's important because, again, as we shift to um, flattened organizations, as we think about... uh, people trying to come into our industry, as we think about how to leverage some of the trends and inflection points, all of us, no matter what level, need to think about how do I make an impact on the business? That's my advice. By that, that statement itself requires you to make sure that you are part of the business, that you know what's going on in the business, that you're integrated into the strategy that all of these things are happening. And I think oftentimes you see your field and my old field, you see HR and supply chain being sort of sidelined. You know, it's like, ah, they're a necessary evil, but you got to be in there in the conversation showing where the impact is. Yeah, lovely. Well, Kristen, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thanks, Jan. Thank you for listening to the Automotive Leaders Podcast. Click the listen link in the show notes to subscribe for free on your platform of choice. And don't forget to download the 21 Traits of Authentic Leadership PDF by clicking on the link below. And remember, stay true to yourself, be you, and lead with gravitas, the hallmark of authentic leadership.